Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's go! Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Runtime Rundown. I am Joe. This is Evan. Uh, Evan, you'll notice I skipped the the, the catchphrase because I got a new one for you. You want to hear it? I do, yeah. Uh, my new one is Runtime Rundown, where the front end is just the beginning. I <laughs> <laughs> feel like I, I, I still don't I, – we're still trying to land on it. We'll, we'll get there eventually. You had it. Let, literally last episode, we said that's Maybe, maybe it. we'll stick with that. Let us know, dear listener. Let us know in the comments what you think about – Like, let's just do the comparison. So it was uh, Welcome to Runtime Rundown, where we read the web – so you don't have to? What was it? Yeah, we read the web dev news so that you don't have to. That okay, versus where front end is just the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, you all be the judge. I don't, you all be I, the don't ju- I think I think we know where Evan stands. Yeah, I I think this the first one is better. Uh <laughs> than all right. the second one. Well, no, but I appreciate the innovation. I think I let's was keep say, trying. This is, this is why trying. we iterate. Yeah, let's keep trying. We're friend is just the beginning. I guess that's accurate. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Evan, uh, we got a, a bit of a late episode today. Why is our episode late? Well, a couple of reasons. Let's start with the good and then we'll go to the bad and the ugly. <laughs> uh, the good, good reason is our normal recording day, we actually spent the day in person together, uh, mostly playing tag in a park nearby. <laughs> And yep. that wasn't Joe and I playing tag, although that would have been pretty funny. <laughs> uh, but no, we were actually in person, and then we were going to record later that night, and then we were both really tired from playing tag, and we're just like, we can't do it. Yeah. Monday comes around. This is where it gets bad. Uh, you know, Monday comes around. I guess this is bad and ugly. And Joe's like, hey, you know, we got to record today, and I <laughs> fell asleep <laughs> after work, so I got paged. Uh, I was on call for work. I got paged really, really early in the morning. And it was like page immediate doing stuff for many, many hours. And um, by the time it was, I don't know, like 5.30 or 6 maybe, I actually just like I I um, fell asleep and uh, that was it. So I, I just couldn't do it. I like my brain couldn't process any more information. I responded to Joe like I think the next day. <laughs> <laughs> or way later that night where my brain was just total goop. And um, I was like, sorry, man. So, you know, that's the bad and the ugly. The good, though, is that best intentions, we just actually hung out and uh, on a beautiful Sunday. That's right. We did. And uh, and so, dear listener, I'm sorry that we are late this week, but we are not taking the week off. We, we've, we're coming in a little bit late, but we're, we, we still got you this week. We still got some, some web right. dev news for you. We'll never miss a week. Yeah. We've just recently been fairly inconsistent. One hundred percent my fault. So you know, don't <laughs> don't blame Joe for this. Joe's Mister Consistent. Uh, I am just a, you know broken down wagon at this point. So uh, I'm doing my best. <laughs> it it happens. It happens to the best of us. What else is uh, new for you, Joe? What else is new? Let's see. Um, I uh, have the week off this week, and so I've been doing a lot of uh, exploring around the Boston area, Boston, Cambridge. That's what I. Used to do a lot before um, before I had a kid, and so like it's tough to get these times to just kind of go off on my own explore. Uh, but I love doing it, so I, I like taking my bike out and um, going uh, around Cambridge and um, 
yeah, just been just been kind of um, doing a lot of reading and 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 relaxing this week. Uh, what about you? Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, not too much is new for me. We're pretty much going through the same steps. Um, you know, we're, we're into a, a season for me for my hobby, which is powerlifting, where we're going to be competing a lot more. Uh, you know, in the summer and the fall, so we're training. You know, our training cycles have sort of gotten a little bit more intense, uh, which I always I always really enjoy. It gives me a lot of focus. My worst part of my year is like the quote unquote off season. And again, I'm not very good. So this is, I'm not like some special athlete, but we do, we do pretend as though we are serious. You know, we are serious. We pretend as though we're good and we follow the same kind of processes. So we take off seasons and stuff. And I just hate that lack of focus. Um, so it's nice to come, you know, be, be like refocusing the intention and getting harder with the training and stuff like that. So it's a good time of year for that. Nice. I like yeah. that. And it's starting to get real nice out. Yeah. That we, uh, we went up to Salem to visit you guys and yeah, that was so fun. Uh, but yeah, pl- playing tag with a four-year-old is tiring. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not a runner, uh, but <laughs> I ran a lot. And also this four-year-old is like legitimately fast and I think is made out of some sort of nuclear material. He's so, he just like <laughs> runs forever. I don't understand yep. how he doesn't get tired. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he's got a lot of energy. I was winded the whole time, but it was super fun and it was a beautiful day. So, you know, really glad to see the weather coming back because uh, I've been like sitting on the deck and stuff, which I never do. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, important question What you reading? Okay, I think it's me this time, or at least we'll just reset because we've been off, we've been doing random episode types lately. This article is called Ups and Downs of a Side Project by Jeremy Grease. Um, this whole article is sort of about building, uh, this is a micro SaaS in this example, but it's sort of doing, a, a, you know, h- how to build a side project, um, how to work on a side project, or more like, you know, tips and tricks, I guess is how I would say. So a couple of the headlines is like, you know, uh, focus on a narrow product, uh, spend some time organizing your code. You, you know, there's like basically how to go about building a side project. Not, you know, I, the example here I think is more of like a, you know, revenue producing side project, something that you're, you're sinking a bunch of time into, not like a, you know, I'm doing a toy app on the weekend to learn another language. This is like a, you know, a long, a long form project that you're working on. Yeah, so so he talks about uh, making this a side project that you know he's trying to generate revenue from. Um, I myself, I I have not done that. I, I like to do side projects for kind of two reasons. So I like to, like you mentioned, do them for uh, to learn something new, like on the weekend or whatever. Just learn a new language, learn a new concept, um, and also uh, something that he does allude to, which is like just solving your own problem. So I like to uh, create these little kind of like one off. Uh, web apps that will help me solve some like t- they'll scratch some little itch that I have. So like the most recent one I was doing was like uh, I wanted something to um, uh, where I could quickly write down notes like for what you know, I'd, I and I wanted to sync between uh, my browser and my phone. So like I created a little website that just like I can open it up. The first thing is like I write in my note and then I can add tags on it and stuff. And uh, it's just like it solves my exact problem because I built it myself, you know, like the notes app is like a little bit different and like, you know, all these note taking apps are different. So anyway, uh, that's, that's kind of my experience building, building side projects. Um, uh, but yeah, he basically says like, 
he alludes to that in his first uh this first section was called which is called uh don't project too much from your experience so he's kind of like um starts talking a little bit about about how he uh started with solving his own problem but then that sort of evolved into other people using it and that's kind of an important step in a side project is like when you make that leap to have other people start using it that's a different that's a different you're going down a different path now yeah so um he was talking about like he was a product manager and stuff like that. And he was trying to solve his particular problem, which I think is exactly what you just said. And when you're making the leap to then make this sort of beyond, you know, Joe's app or Evan's app or something like that, he's saying um, that the use case is inevitably going to be different and to try and reach out and find some of that use case and fold it into your product development. I think that, I think you do that as a product manager anyway. Uh, you know, but you don't necessarily do that for your own side project because you put you're wearing a different hat. Uh, so I think the, the the TLDR of this section to me is just like put on a couple different hats. If you're making the choice to take a side project to sort of that next level beyond your weekend toy app, just put on a couple different hats. Put on like your you know your product manager hat. Put on your QA hat. You know, put on uh, your biz dev hat. Whatever. <laughs> just in general, trying to think through some of those cases before you you say like, here are the X features that I'm going to build, uh, because then maybe you actually like get ahead of that a little bit. Yeah, I think this is something that uh, we can easily forget as engineers. Uh, you know, we just want to start jumping into writing code. Uh, one of the things he mentions, and I, I, I kind of glossed over the part where he uh, has a background in project management, but he's he starts with the user stories, which makes sense if you're a project manager, because that's what you do as a project manager. I don't think engineers necessarily tend to gravitate towards that, but some do. I, I've worked with engineers who uh, who make that you know the core part of uh, when we are doing project planning within an engineering environment. And I think it makes for a really solid uh, plan. Like it, it, I think it allows you to write the engineering tickets much more clearly if you know what problems you're solving for users. Um, so the, it, it's really interesting thinking about uh, a side project that you're that you're starting to build for other people. That's to me is like a big, that's a, a pretty big shift when you're building it for yourself versus like starting to bring in other people. Um, it's funny, he talks about, um, he talks about, uh, basically he was surprised that his users weren't the ones that he expected. He like he thought he was going to be building this for um, the people in his current company. So he had like a certain demographic in mind, and it ended up being like m- much different. You know, it was like he says it was teachers, garage owners, no code freelancers. So like his audience was w- much wider, and it kind of um, this is sort of I made this random connection to uh, a Kurt Vonnegut quote. There's like this Kurt Vonnegut quote where he talks about writing you know this is in the in the uh, domain of writing novels but he talks about writing for one person so he has this whole uh thing about like i think if i remember he was writing for his sister so when he would like write these novels rather than trying to use this very general voice and trying to appeal to everybody he had one person in mind that he was like telling a story to and it's a little bit different but but i think there's like something there when you're building a product, if you have somebody in mind that you're building a product for, I think it can make for a much more focused product. Turns out he ran into kind of the opposite problem, I think. But um, but then then you solve that problem. You know, they're kind of you, you solve them in different ways. Yeah. So that actually dovetails nicely into the next section, which is uh, focus on a narrow product. So you this is kind of funny where he says, like, <clears throat> we all read that it's easier to build 
a niche software product. It's like, you know, more successful generally to build industry specific software, something that is niche and solves a specific problem really well. Uh, and he said, even when he was doing this, he's like, yeah, this is, this is going to be me. I've got three features that I want to build. And then the engineer, uh, you know, comes out and you get in there and you're like, Ooh, but you know, you want to, I, I want to generalize this API so that it could work with, he says like Airtable and you know, whatever, all these other things. And you like, once you get in there, this stupid engineer hat comes on and you start thinking like, I need to make this better. Partly he even talks about this is because you're like embarrassed to, to show something that is not, you didn't think about all of it. Cause you know, people like people on the internet, especially if you're, you know, this is going into get every something like that. They freaking love to just point stuff out that you didn't do or that you yeah. missed or something. Cause there's like a whole con- contingency of people in this world that just like, they just want to be naysayers. It's, it's a horse barn. That's all they do is just naysay. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry, that's a bad dad joke, but uh, so, you know, the, the TLDR here is when you're building the side product, stick to your guns of those user stories and build the leanest thing possible. So I always loved this at Wayfair. Uh, they had this analogy and it's not like Wayfair specific, but they said, build the skateboard. Don't build a car with no doors, no roof, no windshield and an engine and four wheels because it's not a viable thing. You know, yeah. build the skateboard first because you can get from A to B. Now it's maybe not exactly what you want, but it at least is a complete thing starting off. And that to me is like, kind of is encapsulated here is like, don't fall into the classic trap of once you get in there and start building the thing that you just let your mind run wild and you get caught in all these rabbit holes, stay focused and, and kind of stay small for as long as possible. Yeah, absolutely. There, there was one sentence in here that, that stood out to me that was almost, it was like almost the opposite of that, but it ended up actually, I think working out because the scope was still small enough that it, that, that it worked. But he basically says, I really needed one uh, feature more than these two others. You know, he really needed notifications more than search and ad, but he made the decision to, to uh, put them all into the initial scope. And when I read that, I was like, oh, that, I bet that's going to come back you know, come back to bite him that he like took on too much work and you ended up not being able to like focus too much. And um, because my sort of like mantra or or ethos is always just like make the make the the thing that does one thing first and then add the other features to it. But it sounds like in his case, it worked out. And but he does say he thinks part of the reason that uh, he did that was because he was too ashamed to launch a product uh, that was too simple. Uh, And like, yeah, pushing pushing things to GitHub kind of gives yourself uh, this sense of like, oh, this is out there, and now people can see it, and and it like it puts a little bit of like weight on on a side project, maybe. And I think that can be uh, good in some cases. You're sort of like you are putting yourself out there publicly, so you want to you want to sort of like put your best foot forward. I think about like trying to submit something to like Hacker News and be like, hey, look at this thing I built, and it just makes me shudder. Woof. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> that's Um, the worst case example though like that yeah Yeah. you know there's like product hunt and some other things that you could probably go to before hacker news because hacker news is there there no one is happy on hacker news yeah exactly um yeah one last thing in this in this um section he talks about writing user stories so like if you're not familiar with user stories it's basically just sort of a one-line description of a feature it's like as a user at like talk about notifications because that was the first thing he wanted to, to build um as a slack user i want to be notified when somebody updates my google sheet you know that's from using his example it's, that would be a story uh 
as a person, you know, as a blank, uh, I uh, expect to be able to blank. That's the the basic structure of a user story. Um, and I, I mean, I tend to not do these, I think, when I'm working on my own side projects. Um, but I think they become necessary when you do have other users. Like, you know, as soon as you have one one user, uh, and I don't know if we talked about this before, but there was a there was a thing that I was building for myself that you were my first user at. And like we, I showed you this thing that I was yeah. building, and you're like, "Oh, that's cool." You know, I, I would like to to uh, to do that too. And so I added you as a user, and I was like, "Oh, now I have a user," and it like changed my whole perspective on on the product because I was like, "Oh, well, what would Evan maybe want to do?" And, and you know, it's uh, it it gives you a different. Uh, it looks it makes you look at your project a, a lot more differently, actually. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, so one thing I, it doesn't really cover this in this article, but um, kind of does a little bit. When you're focusing on the narrow product, so you were saying like build a skateboard, build a niche product, build what you think are the like, you know, minimum lovable product, I think is the industry term, not minimum viable product. It's like, what's your minimum lovable product people actually want to use? There, there also needs to be, and this is implicit, but should be said out loud, a feedback loop, some sort of flywheel of like, how are you talking to the people who are using your thing so that they can tell you what they need? Because um, you can write all the user stories in the world. They're all assumptions until people touch it and use it. Um, you know, how are you getting that information back? So I think if you're going to do this and focus on a narrow product, have something. And he talked about this a little bit is like sort of a chat app basically built in and some user tracking and stuff. We can get to that later, but anything else, like any way that your customer can get direct contact with you and just say, you know, here's what I want. Um, I've seen good success with like just a quick feedback button that uh, you hit it and it's just a form. So it's like, what do you want? And then, <laughs> and then you, you kind of triage those things and you, you listen and you find patterns and then you, you build the next thing that is going to solve specific people's specific problems. And that should be the natural growth pattern. Not here's what I think we need. Oh, mm, and then you build that and then you put it out there and say, is anyone going to use this? You know, you build things in response to demand. Uh, so you just need to be able to get that demand side. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I could see it working both ways. You know, I think I think um, uh, I think it was like Steve Jobs was famous for saying something about how like the users don't necessarily know what they want until you show them. And, and, and so, like, I think that you certainly want feedback on some of the pieces that you're like, is this uh, the right thing now that I've put it out there? But I think there's another side to it, which is like, uh, I'm trying to build something that is not gonna like necessarily satisfy some uh, some um, problem that people already know how they want solved. Like people know they have a problem or maybe they don't even know they have a problem. And, and but but you have this sort of new solution to something. And I, I think you can have, there, there's like a t uh, an interesting tension there. That's a fair point, yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, next section is about organizing your code. So he talks about spend some time organizing your code. In his case, he didn't do that. And his his uh, his file just like, you know, basically his file size just kept growing. He says 1,500 rows now um, in this single file. And I thought this was an interesting point because to me, this, this like speaks to moving quickly. You just want to move as quickly as you possibly can. And you're not thinking about code structure at all. That like to me, when I... Uh, start a new side project, I sort of approach it in a way that is going to um, be uh, practice for well-structured code. It's like, I, I, I almost go into it thinking like, how can I, how can I improve my own, like build the muscle of, of, uh, of this sort of like ability to innately 
understand how to structure code so that it's going to be clean and, and extensible later. But I, you know, I realize I say that with the luxury of building this, these things for myself, I'm not building like an actual SaaS product or anything, but, but I think that it's almost like a, a practice and like, you know, building, um, doing the reps where you're just kind of like, if, if, if I were to start a new project that was going to be turned into something that would be revenue generating, I think I would have a good starting place where I, I wouldn't, uh, immediately gravitate towards just like throwing everything in a single file, for example. This one is, I've, I've heard both sides and I've seen both sides be successful. So this is like a, this is an interesting one on one side levels.fyi got to a million daily active users using Google sheets as their backend, uh, which I think anybody <laughs> would probably <laughs> not do that. Um, <laughs> you know, if they were like spending time organizing their code or, or, or structuring for scale from the start. Uh, on the other side is sort of things like this or what you're talking about, which is like, you know, you're building the better version from day one. You know, you're maybe you're even going, maybe you're even spending more time on quality and scalability and tests or something like that than you would if you were doing your day job because, you know, you're under severe time pressure in your day job. And in your side project, it's like, no, this is kind of like, I want to do it the fun way or do it the right way because it feels good. It, you know, it scratches like the OCD itch or whatever it is. Um, so I see both sides. If you're building a side project, unless this is like, I don't know, I guess it, it, if you need the money, um, then it's not a side project. It's a yeah. project project. And at that point, you know, build as fast as you can to get product market fit and pay the debt later. But if it's a side project, I agree with this, which is spend the time to like set up, set yourself up for success because a side project, I think the, the way to keep longevity in it is that it's joyful to work in, like that it doesn't suck to do. And if you have built a bunch of debt in your code, like you don't want to go back there and it's really hard to come back probably. Uh, I've actually done this with side projects. Not, I've never had like a money-making side project, but side projects where I just kind of like hacked it to get it got as fast as possible off the ground. And then I come back to fix something because it breaks. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And that, <laughs> that definitely happens very often. Cause like dependencies, you go back to the, you leave a side project and then you come back you have to upgrade a dependency. It's a major breaking change. And then you have to actually remember what your code does. So I, I think this is super important. Again, if it's a side project, legit, if it's, if you need the money and you're trying to go as fast as possible, uh, this is the wrong article. Uh, yeah, 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 and there, there's even a uh, there's even a section here uh, called "Find Happiness in Things Other Than Revenue." So it's like uh, this this guy says um, says for me, I like the idea of building a product uh, useful and that is actually used. What really pleases me is is receiving thank you messages. So like that's great. Like if you're you know if you're building, it's I, I think it's always nice to remember that you're you're starting a side project to scratch some itch right like you're you're probably not starting it because you uh i don't know people have all different kinds of reasons to to start projects so i don't want to i don't want to like put you know put thoughts in anybody's head or whatever but um but it is good to remember that that what's going to keep you going on a side project when you're kind of in the doldrums and you're like oh i'm so i'm just i don't want to sit down at my computer and work on this today is something interesting it's like something other than the money and, and so whether that's uh, thinking about your users, whether that's an interesting technical challenge. I don't know. Those are the things that that have always kept me coming back to uh, to work on my side, side project. Yeah, I like this. Um, 
find something trackable, I guess is the way. And also like revenues, revenue is fun. I think that's a great first goal. Uh, I have a goal for that for 2023 to make an American dollar, one Amer- <laughs> one single American dollar on a side project. Um, and I think that's probably like a good first taste. And then you need the longevity goals because like you probably won't see revenue going up and to the right forever and ever. And if you do, great job. Yeah. <laughs> Hire me uh, at some point. <laughs> but, um, you know, the other stuff is like, are you getting more users? Are you getting like cool you know, kudos somewhere, whatever it is that keeps you kind of engaged. Um, but for that hap- like to happen, they need to actually use the app and that's, or use your thing. And that's the next section is user onboarding is key. Um, this is a good section because if you built it for you and it solves your use case, there's a large chance, there's a lot of context in your brain uh, that you just implicitly built into this thing that if someone else comes in, they don't have, and they and it might be like a complete mystery to them on how to use it. Um, so they, you know, they're talking about like, yes, people signed up. Then how do you get them doing that first thing, and and how do you make that as easy as possible without using like, uh, the classic anchor point app onboarding experience? If you can avoid that, try to. If you can like build a native experience that makes sense to people do that. But I think this is super important that we often forget, especially when you're building it for yourself, because you already know your problem. You already know how you're using it. Uh, what if someone comes in completely cold and like as much as you want to, you'll never have that experience. So you just don't know. Yeah. It's like, it's like forgetting that you have your own perspective coming into a conversation too. It's kind of the same idea. It's like you have all this uh, experience and 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 maybe context and and you're you're approaching your life or interactions with with other people with all of that baggage I guess and so this is just that in in, a, in another form I think um, the next section I, I like this next one it's called accept wave accept waves so it's like uh, it's okay to have productive waves it's, you don't have to like constantly be churning on something all the time just like always working hard 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 all the time it's okay to like do that in waves um this is something we've talked a lot about before but just like consistency is key so if you're going to be doing something for for the long term it's way more important to just show up and do it than it is to show up and make yourself do it for way longer than you have to but also like be accepting of, of that when that comes <clears throat> comes along and when you sort of get the the urge to work on something for like hours at a time, that's great. Just like go with that and and you'll, uh, you know, I, I, I find myself getting into these sort of like um, focus zones when that happens and, and I can get a lot, a lot done. Yeah, there's, um, you know, in the training, powerlifting stuff, there's a, there's a connection here. We, ha- we have a phrase my friend, my training partner and I use called you chase the lightning. Uh, and it, it means nothing, but really what it is, is like <laughs> some days and there's no rhyme or reason. You just feel good that day. Uh, and when that happens, you press it and you do a little extra and you go a little harder. Um, uh, but the, you know, for that to happen, it needs to like that old phrase for, uh, creativity to happen needs to find you working, I think. So it's mm-hmm. just like that habit of consistency, you know, doing something, basically treading water, like you're, you're, you're just putting that work in. That's the only way you'll find those days when it's like, oh, there's some magic here. And I think that's, that's key with this type of stuff is like a committed day or whatever it is, tread water, just put, put in your obligatory, 
you know, commit a day or whatever. And some days we'll find you like, I don't know why the moon has aligned with Saturn or something. And it's <laughs> like, you, you just feel good. And then you press that um, and you do more stuff that day. But the forgiving yourself that you don't crush work all the time uh, is reasonable because like that's, man, uh, we've talked about this before about Mac, like kind of my macro cycles for our lives. Like some, you'll go in periods of like six months of just, I am just pushing really hard for something. And then naturally there's a, there's like a come down period from that. And you mm -hmm. spend a month, two months, three months, and you feel kind of rudderless maybe. And you're kind of just puttering like, I don't know what's going on. And then you find the next thing and you, you catch the next wave. So with side projects and in general, like, you know, the, the macro cycles of your life as a developer, um, it's okay to, to have those waves. If you try and push it all the time, you're not a robot. And if you are like, good for you, you're probably a millionaire. I am not that person. <laughs> yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. I, I, that's, uh, that's something I feel strongly about too, which is when it's, when you're feeling that drive, lean into it. But also when you're feeling the, the, that sort of like, uh, fall away, lean into that too. Like when you're in a rest cycle, Lean into the rest cycle because you're going to be just all that much more ready for when you have the drive again. Um, yeah, you you mentioned uh, that's a thing in lifting. It, that's a thing in climbing too. When I when I was like climbing a lot more, there are these long macro cycles where you're going for months where you're training really hard in really specific ways, and then you have a couple of months where you're just taking a lot more time off and you're kind of like maintaining. You're doing uh, lighter effort stuff, but like you can't continue in the long term in the, the 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 years long cycle you can't really continue pushing unless you're allowing yourself to take those take those those rests yeah i mean it's a shooting star versus a north star um you know yeah. you can burn real bright and then you explode in the atmosphere or you're a north star and you burn pretty good for a really long time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah that lean into the down cycles i think is like that's a tough one for everybody to do because mm -hmm. we're all surrounded by hustle culture blah 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 like grind it out man and you read like whatever if you're on social media it's everybody's best day every time you look at it so you see yeah. somebody like producing the most stuff you know the next github whatever library comes out i just released my new bun or whatever like the people are just doing crazy stuff all around you all the time they're not like they're those are all happening in huge macro cycles too most likely there might be some outliers there but you just happen to be getting the greatest hits of everybody all the time fed to you uh, so yeah. when you're when you're feeling like really low for me sometimes i'll still be like no i'm going to do this i'm going to do this and then you're just burning your down cycle and then you'll never have the energy to press the up like because you just won't feel good. So I don't know. I'll sit. This is, you know, sometimes I'll just sit and play like Fortnite for four hours or something like that. Or I'll find mm -hmm. myself like I'm laying, I lay on the floor and read a book, whatever it is. But you just lean into those days or weeks or, you know, sometimes months for us. Uh, and it makes that upside where you're like, now I'm ready. I, I need to do something. Yeah. I, like I got a bit in my teeth. And I find yep. that to be really effective. Yeah, it's like, I mean, this actually, I didn't think we were going to tie this back to what you said at the very beginning of the show, but you mentioned about how you're starting to be back into a focus cycle and lifting. And like, that's what, it, you know, that that you have the ability to get super focused there because you've had this this off time. And like, yeah, I do think it can be really hard to work through some of those downtimes, especially as 
days turn to weeks turn to months. You know, it's okay to go a couple days and not feel guilty about not pressing as hard as you possibly can. But when that turns into months, you're like, am I just like, like this now? You know, that's, yeah. but, <laughs> um, but I do, I, yeah, I, I think it's important. Um, and maybe this is a good, a good place to like tie up this article. Cause he, the, the very last sentence in this article is I don't plan to develop it further. I'll keep the current functional scope. I prefer to focus on other things. So like, that's a good lesson for, uh, for a side project too, is like, you can set them down and have them be what they are. And you don't need to, you don't have stakeholders, you know, I mean, maybe at some point you do, but you don't have, you know, you, like if it's especially f- for yourself, like you don't have stakeholders, you, you can just put it down. You can just be done with that. Um, I think once you start getting revenue generation, it, it does add a different sort of uh, spin to the whole thing. And, and you do have to think about long term maintenance and, and how that looks. But it was it was pretty refreshing, I'll be honest, to see him write this just to say, uh, I'm going to focus on some other stuff. I love that. I mean, you've got the great Kenny Rogers and our wonderful song, The Gambler. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Um, <laughs> it's definitely important. I do want to say another thing, though, like in those down cycles, just to just as a small caveat, you still do the stuff. You just don't do it with the same level of intensity yeah. and the same yep. push. Like, you know, in our down cycles for training, it's still four days a week two hours a session, but it's just not the same. You're just not doing as much. You're joking. You, you know, you call it smoking and joking, right? You're just kind of like shooting the crap a little bit in the gym. You're not really pushing super hard. And in work too, it's like, I'm just going to do a commit. It's like documentation or whatever. Like, you know, you're, yeah. you're just, you know, do whatever, but you're still working the, you're still keeping that habit, keeping that rut in the, you know, in the ground worn down so that when you're ready, it's not a huge ramp up. Cause that's like such a motivation killer. If you feel that push, like you're ready to go do something and you have forgotten the basics of what to do, and then you have to like, you know, get all that context back. And it's just such a killer. Like if you're already grooved, you're just not intense. Then you're ready. Once you, once you want that intensity, that the groove is still there. Yeah. I think that's just, I just want to put that out there. Absolutely. I, there's this thing that I, I don't remember exactly where it came from, but it's stuck in my brain for many years now. And I come back to it a lot. It's this idea of being 1% better every day. And so it's like- That's that Atomic mean, Habits, right? He talked about yeah, that. that. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, so it's like this idea that like you're not, uh, you're not trying to push yourself 20% better than you were yesterday. And better is such an abstract term. And I think that's part of what makes this so useful, at least for me, is like, if I sit, you know, if I wake up and I'm like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do that day or whatever, but I know that I have certain constant things like I'm going to make a commit that day. Um, I aim to just just do something 1% better than the day before, something that day. And it's like, uh, it's so tiny, but over the course of 365 days, over the course of a, course of a year, that has, you know, through the magic of compounding, uh, as I think Warren Buffett likes to say, um, there it's just it leads to these huge uh you make these big strides and you just kind of you don't realize it until a lot of time has passed and you think oh look at all this stuff that i did and and i really wasn't pressing very hard except for on the days when when i did but uh in general just making these small consistent incremental improvements can can really uh have an impact yeah i think that about wraps it for this um you know my final thought is i will make one American dollar from a side project in 2023. I don't have an answer like what it. it is yet, but it, it's going to happen. I like so it. So I'll write my own article about 
thoughts yeah. on side projects. <laughs> um, yeah. Any other final thoughts from you? Not from me. Okay. Let's, let's see what, uh, I mean, I do have one final, I have a, I have a final question, which Uh-oh. is what are you learning? What are you learning? Yeah, so I am going back. That music just kept going. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, they went on a little longer <laughs> than I thought. It would. <laughs> I am going back to the old well. Um, I am currently still going after my web accessibility specialist certification. So I've been working through course material um, for that. And right now, I don't know, I'm, like this has just been going on consistently. So you know, sometimes if I'm not learning anything, super new. It's still always every, you know, every day I'm doing 25 minutes of working through the certification course material. So lately, a couple interesting things, been looking at um, focus states in general. I think a lot of us are, you know, have done the old outline none on focus uh, before in our lives. Just looking at what is, you know, single A, double A and triple A you know, compliant with focus states, particularly around things like color and stuff like that. So I've seen people use just like a blue border and remove outlines. Uh, and then what happens when someone's a high contrast user and that blue just looks like nothing to them, where the outline puts a boundary around the color and allows someone who's a low light vision user or a colorblind user to still see that focus state. So we just, like, again, we just take so much for granted Um you know, so still learning about like, you know, very much not just blind users. I think the web focuses so much on uh, blind users and there's so many other handicaps that uh, that are more prevalent, really, and, and that really affect a user's experience in the web. Um, so, yeah, that's I'm still working through that stuff. So that's the most recent one is looking at um, color compliance, specifically around focus states. Nice. Yeah, I, I always notice it when a website... Uh, does that in an accessible way when they when they don't use the default uh, focus state, which is just this sort of like light blue blur, but they go for it. They like put a chunky uh, outline around it, and and I'm always like, oh, okay, yeah, this 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 site is um, is uh, at least trying to be more more accessible. Uh, yeah, it's always nice to see that. Yeah, what are you learning? Let's see, what am I learning? I have two things that I'm learning. I'm try- I was trying to decide which one to, to 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 bring up today. One of them is super nerdy. Uh, I'll I'll do a real quick, <laughs> real quick, quick. I'll do that one quick, and then I'll do the other one. So the super nerdy one is I'm learning about. Um, it, so I this comes from this uh, uh, system design book that you recommended to me, and there's an interesting chapter on um, UUIDs, basically universally universally unique identifiers, um, and in particular, doing those in a distributed system is oh. really hard. Uh, it's really it's really hard because like, you know, one way to do it, sort of the, the way that you would think to do it is like auto increment. You can just auto increment that ID and like your first user gets a one, your second user gets a two. But like that's problematic in a number of different ways. Um, and especially when you are when you have a distributed system it gets really problematic because how do you synchronize those things? So anyway, uh, the takeaway is, is, uh, I was, I was reading about, um, Twitter's, they have, uh, with, they do it called snowflake, which was really interesting. So they like, they have this long, uh, ID, which includes a couple of different sections. So they break down this, I think it's a 64 bit number into like 
sections. So there's one section for a timestamp. There's one section for the data center ID. There's one section for the machine ID. And then the last section is just like a counter like that. So it like adds all of this randomness to what is essentially still a counter. And it like it, it you're able to do it in a big distributed system. I just thought it was like a really elegant solution. Though. That was why, why it caught my eye. There's a, um, oh, what is it? Cloudflare? CDN. Uh, they need a GUID, I think, for a hash, um, for content hashes. And there's this, I think it's them. One of the ways that they do it as a redundancy is they have a wall of lava lamps. And the lava lamps are just cooking. There's like 64 lava lamps. And they take every like quarter second or second, take a picture of the lava lamps and convert that to a cryptographic hash, I think. That's so, right. Yeah. So there's just like, I don't think they use it, but this is, it's like one of their famous principles that there's just redundant systems for that. And yeah. it's not exactly the same problem, but it's pretty close to the same problem about globally unique identifiers being actually globally unique because there's mm -hmm. no way that that uh, lava lamp configuration could be the same at any given second based on like, you know, hydro thermal engineering or whatever uh -huh. like there's just no way so they get it's just kind of it's an interesting problem but it's funny that guids like the, the term uuid or guids globally unique universally unique they mean the same thing i still like mathematically don't understand how they're globally unique because you're just making like a long hexadecimal number how does that not get collided all the time so th this is like a big gap as a front under i'm sure someone covered that in computer science school uh i don't know that answer I know that was, that was, you know, I, whenever I use the UUID library, which generates a globally, you know, a, a unique, uh, identifier, I have that same thought. I was like, how this just feels like it, it instinctually feels weird. You, you instinctually feel like at some point you're going to hit, a, hit a collision. But I think there's a couple things, uh, a couple things that, you know, uh, prevent that for one thing, it's like globally unique to your application. It's not globally unique in the world. Uh, although maybe some, you know, that maybe some place, I, I, I can't think of any use cases that it would be outside of your own application or your own system. Um, but the other thing is I, I was reading about UUIDs and it's, it said basically, uh, I think there are 128, um, no, there, they must be more than 128 bits, but they're, uh, they're, they're long. So, so they're long hexadecimal numbers. And there was a statistic that you could generate one every second or every millisecond for a hundred years, uh, of, oh, sorry, generate a billion every second or every millisecond for a hundred years. And your probability of collision would be 50% at that point. Um, and when I read that statistic, that's the thing, that's the leap that your brain would have to make in order to sort of can't internalize fathom that. Yeah. yeah, you can't, it's like, it's they're 128 bits long. Uh, yeah, I guess. They, yeah, sure. But, but statistics are averages, you know, you're talking, but so like there, there's gotta be rates of collision that can spike in certain yeah. times. And then over the course of whatever, that's just statistics aren't great at capturing outliers, mm -hmm. um, you know, and they say like, you're going to collide 2% of the time. It's like, yeah, but what if all that 2% is on the same day? Right. Because <laughs> right. that could right. happen. Like just by just yeah. complete randomness. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, what was the yeah. other thing? You said there were two things. One was um, super nerdy. I'll hang on to the other one. I'll, I'll, that, that was like, uh, that was a good I'll, one. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll hang on to the, the other one for, uh, till next week. That was a good one. Yeah. Little cool. Cliffhanger. Um, okay. So now meat and potatoes are over. That's right. It's time for a pina colada. <laughs> 
on the Good News Cruise to the That's end right. of the episode. Some sand. Get some sand in your in your flip flops. Joe, what is your good news? My good news, I got some I got some local good news and it comes from something I talked about at the beginning of the episode which is I've been doing a lot of exploring around Cambridge this week and I discovered that uh, a park, a public park that I had previously thought was closed to the public a couple of years ago is still open and it's one of my favorite spots in the city. Um it looks it looks different now. So like it's, it didn't look like it used to, but there, there's this public park on the roof of a, uh, of a parking garage in Cambridge in, in, um, Kendall square. And, uh, this was, it was there for many years and then Google moved in and Google kind of like took the building, took over half of the space. And, um, I sort of thought at that point that it was going to be like a Google park. It was going to be like, you could, you had to be, uh, you had to work at Google in order to enjoy it, but no, they've kept it open to the public and it's a really nice space it's like it's more uh googly i guess you would say now it's like uh you know it's got like uh, uh it's got a bunch of uh chairs and a bunch of there's like some kind of paddleball court and stuff but uh, i went up there yesterday and it was like dead quiet and it's just a, a beautiful little space in the middle of the city so that's my good news that is good news uh good for google for not being absolute assholes and t- <laughs> like co-opting a public park for yep. software engineers um Cool. I know that area really well. My wife used to work at CIC, which is basically across the street from Google in Kendall. Uh, I think nice. that I think it's still there. Cool. Good news. Uh, uh, what's your good news? Yeah. So you went you went local. I went global. Uh, and this this was actually like, you know, have you ever heard everybody say like, ah, this it's a world's full of bad news? You know, and this is why we made the good news cruise was because everybody just gets bad news all the time and the outrage machine is constantly being fed fuel. So this I thought was really great. Uh, The title of the article, small acts of kindness are universal. So a global study finds that people help each other every two minutes. So uh, there's a a study done recently by sociologists uh, on five continents and it finds that humans help each other with small things about every two minutes. And acquiesce wow. for calls for help overwhelmingly more than they reject them. So this was cool because um, previously, like sociological studies have kind of aimed really high in, in answering the question, how are people relating to each other um, in, in respect to, to kindness? That was a crazy loud noise. I hit my water bottle. Uh, <laughs> so they were saying like, you know, how are kind of like at the macro scale, like towns working with each other and people in general, this study looked at um, basically like hours of recordings of everyday life in towns in Italy, Poland, Russia, Aboriginal Australia, Ecuador, Laos, Ghana, England, etc. And they just looked at how people were operating in these everyday candid experiences. Um, and they found that people were constantly helping each other. So all the time, uh, for small requests, seven times more than they declined, they were saying yes, and six wow. times more often than they ignored them. So, like rejections of help came in at a rate of eleven percent at most, uh, but seventy-four percent of those were with a reason. So, this globally, only two percent of all signals for help were denied without explore, uh, explanation. So, I think wow. it's just like 
if you want data, they have the data that says overwhelmingly in the small things, which is where most of us live. Like, you know, a lot of us live in the everyday little things. And in those micro interactions, people are helping each other far more often than not. And I thought that was kind of just like a hopeful study result. That's great. That is hopeful. I like it reminds me of the the bystander effect, which is kind of the opposite of that, where there's, you know, the, the there's this effect that happens when there are a lot of people uh, who kind of like hear something going on or, or whatever. It started back in the uh, 60s in New York City, but a bunch of people heard something going on. Nobody stepped in to help. So. Um, so, yeah, that's good news that that that, that is, uh, you know, maybe I think that's such a such a, like in the forefront of our of our mind. I at least remember that that the bystander um, bystander effect. And so this is a nice counterpoint to that, that people are actually stepping up to help way more than than it sounds like uh, we hear about. Yeah. And as a I remember studying the bystander effect, and I think a lot has come out since then, um, particularly that around that the example, which is a, a really brutal example in New York of how the bystander effect kind of got its like name and notoriety wasn't exactly as it was told mm. in that original event. People did call the police and stuff like that. Things just didn't work out. But I think the bystander effect over the years has been uh, pinned to smaller uh, areas of intervention. So when there's, th- when there's physical like threats of physical violence, basically the bystander effect tends to come into play. Mm. So it's, it's, this is the more often day-to-day stuff. So I think the bystander effect still is in play when there's someone exhibiting antisocial behavior uh, or has like a threat of violence. For sure, bystander effect is there. But that's like to be expected. Yeah, uh, it's it's really rare. There's a book um, called On Killing, and you know, sorry, tough title, but it uh, talks about the psychology of people who are willing to. To, to intervene in situations like mm. that. And it, out of a hundred people, it's really only one out of a hundred would have mm. the uh, sort of like the, the chemical composition to do it. So I think wow. that's, that's normal. Yeah. Boy, we really brought, I, I really brought this uh, good news cruise down to a, down to a dark place. <laughs> we should just cut this all. Like, <laughs> we should just cut it all and just yeah, leave us just on say, the good hey, news. Hey, so that was some really good news, Evan. Wow. I'm really glad you told it. I am. I have faith restored in humanity. I don't think we've ever ended an episode on a happier <laughs> note. Cool. All right. So that's the end of the show, everybody. Um, Thanks for listening. Sorry for being late. 100% my fault. Probably will happen again, but we're going to do our best to not do that. Um, Please go to runtimerundown.com. Go to an episode, write a suggestion. Uh, It uses something called utterances. So again, if you're asked for your GitHub login, it's not us hacking you. It's legit. Uh, Also, you can drop a suggestion, uh, runtimerundown.com slash suggestions. Uh, and we listen to those. We actually did an episode the other day based on the user suggestions. So uh, keep them coming. Go to your podcatcher of choice uh, and let us know if we're not in your podcatcher of choice. We'll get there and leave us a review. Uh, that's helpful for us. Again, I've been crying about this for weeks and weeks. No one has still left one. So now I'm like getting legitimately <laughs> sad. I might start getting bot reviews uh, to, to help. <laughs> but other than that, anything, Joe, anything you want to add? That's it. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. um, And we will see you next week. See you next week.